Welcome to Performing Welcome Black. To Performing Welcome Black. to Performing Black. I just want to get that on the recording. <laughs> Performing Black is a celebration of the work that pushes the culture forward and a conversation of the work that leaves us wanting more. Oh, damn. <laughs> this podcast will make you laugh, but most importantly, it's going to make you think. Performing Black is a celebration of black people and black art. Love, of course. Well, today we are discussing the United States versus Billie Holiday. How are you, A.T.? Yes, we are. I am doing wonderful. It is a great day. Um, I'm so excited to talk about this film. I think it is um, definitely a, a great break for Andre Day. And there's there's definitely a lot to talk about, so I'm ready to jump in. How you feeling? There's so much to talk about. I too am feeling good uh, and very excited for this conversation. I was, you know, um, I'm really excited for black performance, you know, in this moment. You know, I think that artists are really um, taking the call right now to really do the work, but it's been a long time since there've been films that really moved me you know, and this film was remarkable, mm. you know? Um, and so we're going to talk about that. But what's going on with Black folk before we get into all of that? Well, first of all, you know, of course we had Black History Month last month. And, um, we did. It was, it was an eventful one, particularly for folk living in Texas like myself, <laughs> who experienced a winter storm, child. We got snow. In Texas, real snow in Texas. And, you know, I thought I had left that life behind me in upstate New York, <laughs> but it came for our asses. <laughs> how many How many inches did you all actually get? I think here we got about four. I'm in the Dallas area. We got about four inches. Oh, that's a fair amount. Yeah. And did you all have a lot of ice as well? Oh, yeah, Definitely. So, you know, so it was crazy. You know, I was in Los Angeles, you know, during the time and I was telling AT this, you know, I felt like I was in a vacuum. I didn't know what was going on in the world. So I kind of learned of the Dallas massacre. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't just Dallas. Oh, it was all of Texas, right? Okay, so this Texas conundrum, uh, I learned about it kind of late, you know, and and as I learned information, you know, talking to you, you know, you were telling me things. I was like, first of all, why do I, why does this feel like this is happening in another world. And also what is happening in hot ass Dallas that y'all <laughs> getting all the snow. You said pipes are bursting. Folks didn't have no water. They had yeah. contaminated water. Your neighbor's house was on fire, got caught fire. Yeah. I had a neighbor whose house burned down from an electrical shortage um, after the, the snow started melting. So what happened was we, we were experiencing rolling blackouts and my uh-huh. power for my family it was on for maybe 45 minutes at a time 
and then it would be off for three hours. So the house would get down to like 40 something degrees in the middle of the, during the day and in the middle of the night uh, because we had no electricity. Luckily, we didn't experience any issues with water, but of course, a lot of people did uh, with their pipes bursting. Some people were out of water. So it was definitely bad. And leadership in this state was not taking accountability. Uh, the folks who control the power grids were not doing much of anything either. Uh, in fact, right. much of the board of ERCOT have now resigned uh, and the CEO also resigned as of last week. So what is ERCOT? That is the company that controls Texas's power grid. If y'all don't know, Texas is on its own power grid, separate from the rest of the country. It is the only state to do so. And Ted Cruz was on his way to Aruba or Cancun. Or to Cancun. Okay. Wow. Um, and tried to blame it on his daughters. He did. But turned around and came on back. With his head hanging down right. low. But good news is coming. We, um, or hopefully it's coming. The Senate passed the $1.9 trillion uh, stimulus package that will bring some financial relief to folk with the $1,400 check and an extension of unemployment benefits that will last through the summer. And so now it has to go back to the House. Hallelujah. Is anybody talking about these loans, though? That's still the question. You know what? Actually, they do need to talk about it because bill collectors are still calling. Okay. And emailing <laughs> and texting. And texting. <laughs> and when I talk to them, I'm just like, but we're in a pandemic. You realize that, right? Like, I don't understand why you are asking me for money. This is not the time for you to be asking me for that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you even have money right now? Like, can you help me? Well, this is so funny that you say that because I was on a phone with the the credit card company and she begins to go and tell me about how she is the only one in her household working. Her husband is out of work and she just started back working. And so I'm like, so you understand the struggle. Why are you on my phone? Yo, (laughs) capitalism got to go. It's got to go. <laughs> it's going to have to it's go. It's got to go. Something that I've seen that's wonderful recently is this new song by Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack and their band Silk Sonic called Leave the Door Open. And this song puts me in the vibe like I'm in the 70s or late 60s mm. and I'm just chilling with some black folk and it's so it's so soulful and funky and it's it goes through um, the different textures of R and B, and I love it. Um, okay. I think Bruno is onto something. I think his new album is set to uh, come out really soon, and I'm excited to okay. hear what uh, what else is on there because this is something something real smooth. I like it. Okay, I'm unfamiliar with the song. Um, now, are you saying that Anderson Pack and uh, Bruno Mars have started a band? Is that what you were saying? Or there is a band that is also included on the, the track? There's a band included on the track. So it, this is just a okay. collaboration. 
got it. Okay, I wanted to clarify that because it sounded as if you were saying that there was a band. And I mean, I know artists collaborate sometimes and like create side groups and things. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've not heard that song, so I'm excited to hear. I did hear recently Anderson Pack has a new song with Buster Rhymes. Oh. And I love Buster Rhymes. I think it's called like You or something like that or something like that. But I actually really dig that track. I just heard it literally like yesterday. And I've always been a Buster fan. So um, it's nice to hear. And it has this kind of like electric, you know, um, vibe to it. So mm-hmm. it's, it, it feels it feels like new, but it also feels like it's, you know, signaling back to some other time in music. Okay. Um, yeah. So Anderson and Buster. That's cool, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Anderson had that amazing song during the pandemic. Um, no, we so he had the song Lockdown, which I loved, and the remix was bomb too. Um, yeah, so I'm here for Anderson Pack. Uh, well, have you been um, checking out any of these Lifetime biopics? <laughs> I certainly have. I definitely watched the Wendy Williams one. You know, y'all, there is something about Wendy Williams that is so fascinating to me. While I find her extremely problematic in the, the, the way she talks about Black folk particularly, but also she's very entertaining and she knows how to draw in an audience. And I just can't look away. In fact, I'm going to be on her show in the virtual audience next week. <laughs> Are you really? It's very, it's very campy. Very campy. Cheesy. Very cheesy. The style. I hated the whole, like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm narrating my story, you know, during the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't like it. I was like, I'm, I can't. So I actually did not finish the movie. Um, I am shocked that I heard great things about this Lifetime film because it is not anything that I want to go and try again. But you did mention, A.T., <laughs> that the documentary was really good. Yes, the documentary, I think, is much more robust than the biopic. And I will say the thing about the documentary that got on my nerves is that Wendy was pretty much crying for about 45 minutes of the piece. She was sitting on a couch. I'm not. She was sitting on a couch in her apartment and, you know, relaying everything that had kind of gone on in her life over the past couple of years and just sobbing at moments, just wailing crying and it was just like this woman obviously was not in a place to do this and to collect all of her thoughts uh to be able to effectively Mm -hmm. tell the story but they did have interviews from people who have been involved in her life uh such as her producer suzanne um her husband uh who is also who also works on the show he's like head of photography i believe Mm -hmm. um and some of her managers from the past and present all talked about her. And a lot of it really boils down to issues with her ex-husband being involved in her life and him running everything and trying to run over everyone in her life. Um, And them kind of just talking about how everything has changed since they've been divorced. Did you, well, did you catch the salt and pepper? I I did not. (laughs) Did you? Let me tell you something. So I got to see bits and pieces because they were watching it um, 
at the apartment when I was in LA and I just was confused at why Martin Lawrence's character was looking like he was 45 but this was at the beginning of their career because there's a scene apparently salt and pepper I think um, kid from Kid and Play and Martin like all worked at a call center together okay. which is wild yeah um, but like this is like clearly in the early 80s and the dude playing Martin looked like a middle-aged man and I was so confused I mean he was even much he was even much larger than him and Martin was very skinny at the beginning of his career he was a very slim guy you know very small man and so I just was so confused at that then at one moment I you know we left and I did go you know smoke some stuff and then I came back into the room and then it seemed like I was like oh so y'all watching a documentary and they were like no this is still the movie and then i was like and why is this movie still on it seems very long <laughs> i don't know I, I you know so it did it did not <laughs> it did not seem like it was a successful um you know production I, once again it was not anything that i was interested in revisiting so that that those are my thoughts on the salt and pepper biopic <laughs> well dang lifetime just ain't getting it right with some of them still yeah yeah it, it, it and it makes me, but see, when things like that happen, it makes me like really want to be curious about who's directing, who's casting, who is, you know, who's the, the creatives working on the team. Because mm -hmm. like I said, you know, with um, the Clark Sisters First Ladies of Gospel, you know, like we saw a film that, that, that felt like the direction that Lifetime would want to be moving in. Yes. But alas, we were fooled. And it may be the writing, too. Oh, it's always the writing. <laughs> it's always the writing. <laughs> it's always the writing. Don't you ever forget it. <laughs> you know, and the, and the thing, you know what I say about that in terms of acting, like, there are few... This is how you know good actors, because they're a good actor can make bad writing sound good, mm. you know? But there are few actors, I think, in Hollywood who have that skill. Mm. That is not the case with the United States versus Billie Holiday. That is not the case here. So we are ready to jump right in. We have gotten our warm-up for this episode, <laughs> and we are ready to go. So come on, AT. Give us your first thoughts, your first impressions. What did you think? So first of all, I will say Andre Day's performance. Okay, at times I almost lost her. There were moments when I was like, okay, is this is this a fully embodied performance? Is she fully connected right now? But I will say um, toward the end, it really developed more, and she she began to show more of the humanity of Billie Holiday, and particularly at the very end when she's in the hospital. And she, there's this moment where she's just laughing after uh, the FBI agents are in her room. This is the final moments of her life, but it was it was those moments of of quiet and stillness and seeing her thinking as Billy that that really struck me and that I was able to connect to. Overall, I think this film narratively 
lost me. Um, it felt a bit disjointed in some places. I think stylistically as well, that added to it. And this goes into direction, um, which we'll talk about in a bit. But I loved Andra's performance. I loved Tone Bell's performance. Um, Trevante did a good job. But I, I would probably give it about, about a like B minus from first, first thoughts. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Andre's <laughs> performance was beyond. I was captivated by her the moment they show her on the screen. Uh, you find out later in the movie that she, there's a moment where she's about to sing Strange Fruit. And I think she's about to sing it for the first time in her career. And that is the song, obviously, um, that, th that this film is centered around. Uh, but it is also the song that really kind of put her on the map in terms of fame and notoriety. I thought that Andre Day gave the most i'm trying i'm pausing too because i'm trying i just watched the oprah special where they interview uh lee daniels uh andre day and trevante rhodes and susan Lloyd parks who is the screen writer uh many may know her um because she's a playwright as well pulitzer prize winning playwright um and so i'm trying not to say the things that they said but i just for her to be a first time actor and to be able to e accomplish the specificity of, of, of embodying someone, but and not only embodying someone, but really to, to be able to capture the complexity of what it is like to live with an addiction that is rooted from your trauma. Mm -hmm. I thought that she was amazing. You know, I'm trying to like find the word because the words that are, that are coming to me right now are just not, they're not, they do not suffice. You know, I thought that she gave, I didn't think that there was a disconnected moment at all. I think I may agree with you that there were moments where, you know, the film lulled. There were scenes that were particularly, not maybe necessary um, or scenes that were, that were brought to us but you didn't really understand why you were seeing it maybe until later. I, you know, this film also plays with time. And I think that yes. it was unclear sometimes when, you know, what part of Billie Holiday's life we were at, you know? So I think that that is part of that disjointedness that you're talking about. Um, you know, but I actually thought it was a well-made film. I think this is probably Lee Daniels' best work mm -hmm. um, because he can be strange in what he does. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to be a little bit more respectful to the people these days, you know, because we want to bring them on the damn show, you yeah. know. I thought Devine was wonderful. I even, you know, even though, you know, Miss Lawrence, once again, this is amazing. Y'all, I don't know what my school is doing now, but Tri-Cities High School was the bomb.com, okay? Miss Lawrence is a, is a great, we graduated together. It's so funny. This fool, we were doing Scott Joplin's Tremonitia. That was our 
uh, senior musical. Everybody was mad. We didn't want to do that opera. We wanted to do something good, you know? And so we they got some grant to do Tremonitia. It was crazy because I ended up playing every male role at some point just because people were dropping out the show left and right. Anyway, during the show's run, we had a power outage. And do you know that they made us come back after the summer, after we graduated, during the summer, after we graduated, to come and and redo that performance? And Miss Lawrence comes with blonde hair to do the show. And we just stuck a straw hat on that child. And everybody was like, how are we doing this show set in 1911 with this queen and this blonde hair? Anyway, it was... It was really good to see, you know, him in the show, uh, in the film. Um, and I actually was um, proud of the work he did. Mm-hmm. I actually thought that he did, you know, a decent job. And I thought that the way they um, handled the um, naturalness um, of homosexuality, when I say that, I mean the ways in which we engage with queer folk all yes. the time, you know? Um, and it is awesome to even see Billie Holiday now as a queer icon as well, Yes, you know? Um, so, it's so, you know, I just thought, it's just so much to talk about, you know, um, in this film, you know? So I guess my, my first impressions was that I really loved it. It was also amazing. I got to watch the film with my 93-year-old cousin, oh. you know, who moved to Harlem, you know, in 1944, I believe, at the age of 18, you know? So she's, you know, when they're going to uh, Cafe Society, she was like, you know, yeah, that's on 52nd Street, you know? And <laughs> she's able to tell me, you know, these landmarks. And, 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 and she was like, yep, Tallulah, the, the, she was a known lesbian. She was known to be gay. And I was just like, wow, really? You know, yeah, it was it was awesome. And, you know, it was also sad, too, you know, because it made her sad. Yeah. You know, I had I actually had to. Um, so we watched the first hour, 30 minutes together. And then I had to step out. When I come back, she was upstairs doing clothes. I was like, yeah, that was probably a lot. <laughs> that was probably a lot for her to take in yeah. on today. You know, but that was a very special and beautiful moment. So I loved it. So, I mean. Let's get into it. Let's talk about, you know, these things. There's so many things to talk about. So I'll let you, you know, we get into, I'll let you start off. You know, what what is something that's really important to you? Well, first, and uh, I think most importantly, I feel the thing that really tied this this film together was Susan Laurie Parks' writing. The way Mm. she crafted the lines. There were so many moments as I was taking notes during the film, I was like, Yes, Susan. Thank you for that line. And I'm going to tell you a few of them right now. Uh, one was yes. um, when when Billy says, I only know a certain kind of love that makes me feel safe. And she's speaking mm-hmm. to, you know, a, a very toxic type of love that she's used right. to experiencing. Um, another line was uh, when Le- uh, the interviewer, played by Leslie Jordan, says, wouldn't your life mm-hmm. be easier if you just behaved? And I was like, ain't that the thing? Ain't that the question they always want to ask us? So, yes. And and when and, and in the Oprah interview, they focused on that question being asked to a woman. I was just like, all of us yeah. have experienced that. All of us. This has, no, you know, like, this is not, that's not a gendered, you know, way of, a way in which white folk engage with black folk. Mm. You know, I think we've all 
probably since we were children, you know, have been confronted with this just behave, you know, and that is kind of what black people are told in America, just behave and you won't have these instances with the police, you know, just behave and we will give you all a little more money one day if you (laughs) just behave. It was, no, so it's crazy, Susan Lori, Lori Parks, now I understand why she's gifted. Because if you try to read her plays, like they are the most convoluted, like complex writing. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to have Braille to understand. You know, Not you Braille. need a map. You know, <laughs> you need Braille to understand. You need a map with a key to, to <coughs> understand what the hell she's talking about. But she, you know, her writing was exquisite. Yes. You know, it was it was simple and it was it was exquisite. Um, and you're right to to signal. Uh, I think to those two important lines, you know, and I think they can, you know, they can take us in either direction. You know, I think because of Billy's trauma, you know, and also just, you know, being in that drug world, you want the bad guy. Mm. That's what makes sense, you know. And Jimmy Fletcher, the real Jimmy Fletcher, he was fine. But he also looked like he was very handsome, wasn't he? I saw that picture, I was like... <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, you yeah, so did I. I was like, oh, that's daddy. Um <laughs> but also like I was like, no, he was wearing, you know, pleated shirts and, sh- and shit, you know, he had his pants tucked in his pants. She wanted somebody to grab her up, you know, and 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 throw her against the wall and 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 then so she can ride. But also yeah. the first probably example she saw of love between adults was with her mother and living in a brothel as a child and seeing that as the first example i'm sure set mm-hmm. set her perspective in a certain way um absolutely so absolutely not to mention you know which they probably you know her being in a brothel who knows how she might have been taken advantage of you know by an older man but there was mention. Miss Lawrence's character actually uh, mentions that she was. Oh right, talked about that mm-hmm. right before right. I think the age of fourteen. Right. It, you know, um, my cousin kept being like, you know, she was focusing on the ways in which she was like, you know, she was like so fascinated. I think by the um, detective character, and she was yes. just like, you know, but I think he really, he really loves her. And I was like, he did. And she was like, and she loved him. I was like, she did. You know, and I said, and that is the reason why she had to push him away because she knew that the life she was living was not conducive for his life Mm -hmm. and that he would not be able to save her because she also understood she was very clear about her addiction. And I have to ask you too, because I know in previous conversations such as Sylvie's Love, you talked about not being able to see the class differences um, between Black folk much. And did it become more evident for you in this film um, seeing that Fletcher w- came from a family who was wealthy from this mortician uh, business that his father owned. And Billy, of course, came from poverty. Um, I'm wondering, did that did that strike anything for you in this film? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, so, well, we were able to see that because we saw, we were able to see Billy in a time when she was, you know, was poor. Impoverished. Mm-hmm. Um, impoverished, yeah, sure. But in terms of 
the I, I did see it. You know, I mean, obviously you see it with um Miss Lawrence's character and Davine's character. They are her friends, but they also work for her. Yeah. They clearly don't have the uh fashion that she has, mm-hmm. you know. They are leaning on her for money. So I could see it in that way. Um and so, yes, so this film does do that better. And then also, like, my thing, too, was, you know, not more so that I could not see it in Sylvie's Love, but the ways in which I'm like, why aren't those two worlds coming together? Because poor Black folk and affluent Black folk are engaging together in mm-hmm. society, mm-hmm. you know? And so we were able to see that in this film in a way that I, I couldn't see it in Sylvie's Love. Uh, interesting question. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, going back to those two two amazing lines that you highlighted for us, and then, you know, with that line, you know, I guess going back to think about race, you know, and to think about government, the ways in which, you know, um, the government really works hard to... Keep black folk, you know, in this low position, mm-hmm. you know, at any time, any, any time. And it's still happening today. You know, if you start saying Black Lives Matter on your social media, people are tracking you. Yes. They're taking note. You know, if you are an active member of that association, you know, you are uh, a considered you know, I think this is dramatic, but an enemy of the state, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and how that is still a history that is present today. And in and, and this film, we're talking about early 20th century. You know, and, and, and it's just, it's mind-blowing, you know, and I thought that Lee Daniel did, was wonderful where he begins with this 1937 bill that was not passed and to say in 2020, <laughs> we are still having a conversation about the, this particular performance of lynching yep. and it's still yet to be passed yep. today in 2021. Yep. It's, it, 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 it's, it's asinine. It is asinine, you know, but then I think that this film did a great job, you know, um, Lee Daniels in the Oprah Spectral, you know, they talk about how he impressed upon Andra to not make Billy a victim. And so in spite of all of that, we see this strength, Mm -hmm. you know, and if I can quote the line, you know, that um, Jimmy says to Oslinger, he's, who is the over the uh basically narcotics the federal department theory. of nar- narcotics yeah he says to him you know basically like you don't like her you're mad with her you're mad at her because she's strong she's beautiful and she's black yep. you better write susan lori parks <laughs> You better write, sister. (laughs) You know? And so, but that is, that is, that is us, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that is how we have been able to survive these attacks, this surveillance, you know, because we are strong. We are beautiful. And black is the bomb.com, you know? Um, But why are we still having, you know, to fight with the government? Why are we having to fight with our country? It doesn't make any sense. And it's so interesting, too, that, 
you know, Judas and the Black Messiah has also come out this year. We just talked about it in our last episode. And we have these stories of Black informants who are working with the FBI, kind of infiltrating the spaces of, of leaders in the community. And it's so... It's so interesting. Um, I, I don't think this film too much goes into the pathology of uh, Jimmy in that way that it does with uh, with William O'Neill and Judas and the Black Messiah. But at the same time, in this in this instance, or I will say this: in both in both movies, I believe those characters fall in love with the person they're supposed to be going after and, and working in tandem with the right. state. And right. <laughs> it's so sad that both of them have to go outside of the community to find love for those trying to ad- to make advancements for their own mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're having to go outside of the community to eventually come back around to finding love for their own people. Isn't that what assimilation does, though? Yes. You know. You know what I'm saying? You, and I, it's what it's what it does. It make you know. You think this grass is greener on the other side, or if I if I'm able to emulate these things back to respect respectability politics, if I'm able to emulate these things, you know, then I can be like them. You know, but you got to learn the hard way every single time. You know that you're better off <laughs> with your own. You know. And and I think that that can look like many things, you know, because we all we always are talking about, you know, we are not a monolith, you know, and your own, you know, can look like what you need it to, you know. But yes, you're gonna come back. You're gonna come back because because with white supremacy, you cannot win. Mm. Nobody wins. Yep, is what they like to say. <laughs> Nobody wins with it, but you certainly, as a black person, are not going to win. It's just not going to work. Yeah. And so, what are you left to do? You're left to look at yourself and love yourself and remember how beautiful, strong, and black you are. But also, you're you're left to live with that guilt of betraying your own people. Well, this is true. Right. <laughs> you're right. And for William O'Neill, yeah. it ate him up until he committed suicide and. Mm-hmm. In this case, Fletcher, we're just told that he lived in regret for the rest of his life. Right. But. Mm-hmm. And that regret is, you know, probably loaded with lots of things. He lived in regret that you couldn't do more for her addiction. You're living in regret because you initiated this life of violence. You were this part of this part in her life where she extremed a particular kind of violence. You initiated that, you know, um, you couldn't be the man that she wanted, you know, or needed mm-hmm. um, all of those things. You know, she want to be, you know, bust down and you want to be all tender and kiss and do all these things, you know. <laughs> Can we talk about that? Can we talk about that? That scene? The sex scene? Yes, the sex scene. Mm-hmm. First of all, I heard the about this scene. scene. Yes. <laughs> I heard about this scene on social media before I even saw the film. Oh, what were they saying? Everybody was like, it was so fine. Trevante need to come eat me out, eat my ass and all this and oh, that. Oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah. beyond that, beyond that, I want to talk about <laughs> the way that Andre was able to tap into that physicality of someone who does experience sexual trauma and who may not be comfortable with intimacy in that way. Mm-hmm. The way she was mm-hmm. flinching 
when he tried to kiss her mm-hmm. deeply and passionately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've personally experienced that with a partner. Um, mm-hmm. And I think she she captured that so authentically and beautifully. Um but you want to say there were moments that she took you out. There were moments. And I think it, it, it does with the stylistic thing. Of the sh- There's a particular moment of that dream sequence when she was going through all of her trauma uh-huh. with Travante. And that moment when, yeah. like, Miss Lawrence and Rosalind come in to hug her and she pushes them away. She's pushing all of these people away. I thought that was just contrived. And, that's direction. Yeah. That's direction. That's not her. That's direction. And that scene, I think, needed to be thought through too. Mm-hmm. I don't think that scene was fleshed out enough. Um, I also think that because her trauma was so loaded, I think that there needed to be more attention and care and time spent thinking through that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, Cause I agree with you. I totally agree, but I don't think that had anything to do with Andra, Andra. Okay. Um, Oprah got me calling me Andra, Andra cause she kept calling her Andra dad. <laughs> And I was just like, Disrespectful. her name. And, and you, and you, and also, you've been doing this too long. Okay. For you to make that kind of mistake. <laughs> but anyway, um, Andra, I don't think that was on her. I definitely think that was a direct directing thing. And I, you know, I'm proud of you. Look at you. You're growing. Because I, you know, I, I too, when that scene came up, I was just like, I loved how I loved the use of the little girl. Mm-hmm. I, I loved that. Mm-hmm. And the little girl to start off and, and let me take your yeah. hand. Um, but I didn't understand why uh, Jimmy is doing all this crying toward uh-huh. the end, you know, um, because I'm like, well, you're not making a comparison to your own life because yeah. it looks as if your life has been, you know. Peaches. Peaches and sunshine, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I'm trying to understand, and 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 I know that Billie Holiday is mesmerizing, and she's probably, you know. But then again, but I think within that, which is why they needed to spend more time, um, so that we could really understand um, the ways in which her direct trauma, you know, was a link to the woman that she was at the prime of her career, you know? And I think that that was a directing thing in in which, you know, if they just spent a little bit more time and gotten a little bit more specific in that section, then we would understand the ways in which, you know, or it it would it, the payoff would would feel better why she would push them away because I uh-huh. felt I understood that it was because I'm having a moment and and also I I am not you know emotional in that way you mm-hmm. know physical touch is not my love language so why y'all touching me like I understood that but the payoff I think the payoff was not good enough because we. We wanted to know, and I think I think the movie lends itself. We wanted to know more about her past. Yes, you know, we wanted to know more about well, what was life in the brothel like? You can't just throw me, throw that at me, and yeah. then move on. Yeah, <laughs> and for her mother to tell her, her you brothel? gotta move out, right? Like we gonna sit with that, and that takes me back to it. Feel in that moment, I honestly felt like. It was a recreation of a precious scenario for Lee Daniels, and he was trying to get at that dynamic again. Um, we see the fat black woman telling her daughter she ain't shit, she gotta go. Like, it's just right, <coughs> right. 
So interesting. So that's interesting that you talk about him recreating because I felt like that was the main reason why he cast Trevante Rhodes because I, mm. you know, I saw. I've seen him, I, I want to say I saw a little bit of Black Box, um, and I just thought the movie was just weird, so I didn't finish. I think I also was trying to do too many things. So I never finished the movie, but I remember seeing him a little bit in that movie and being like, he's whack, you know? And I didn't, like I said, I didn't particularly love him in this film, but what what I, what I did appreciate um, was that quiet, stare that he does that he did mm -hmm. all throughout moonlight mm -hmm. and it worked in this film you know and in the oprah uh documentary or in the oprah conversation they talk about um he cast him specifically which i was like i know i, I know exactly why you cast him you asked him specifically uh because they needed to have somebody who would be very good at making the audience forgive him mm. forgive the character of jimmy and so those <laughs> quiet moments, aside from him being fine as hell on something about him on the big screen or on the like film screen, because when you see him in the interview, you're like, damn, you're not as fine as when you on that damn screen, though. And you got your shirt off. And oh, my God, he's just a beautiful piece of dark chocolate, you know, man. but it's that. He's a great looking man on the screen. Mm. Um, <laughs> no, he's still fine in person. He's also very, I actually found him more interesting in the interview than I do as when he's acting. Mm. In the interview, he's very thoughtful. He's very um, careful with his words. He's um, a lover of blackness, you can tell. And, you know, I mean, I love black folk who love black folk. But, um, he just was very interesting to me. I was like, I, to me, I was like captivated, you know, by him, but on the screen I wasn't, but, but those moments where he's just silent and looking, you know, um, or just smiling. Those were the, 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 the nuanced things that made us be like, okay, we we can deal with Jimmy. He's not so bad. Now, is that just a, is that a pretty privileged thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. And same. see, and I'm so glad people need to talk about pretty privilege. Like we don't talk about that enough yeah. at all. Um to be you know, able and to the be ways charming in which... and look good on screen, like show that chisel mm -hmm. like, we'll forgive you, you look good enough. Okay. Like Right. And also how his pretty privilege is a different and holds a different capital than Tone Bell's mm. pretty privilege. Mm. <laughs> and let's we give we give that capital well let's talk about it you know because i think you know I, there's probably space to talk about colorism in this film mm -hmm. if we think deeply right mm -hmm. i did think about it i don't know i did I, I did try to think about colorism for this film um but then it goes back to just whiteness at the end because first of all really had a range of partners on the color spectrum and she did it was interesting to me though that she wasn't involved with uh uh what's it Tulula Bankhead her friend 
Rosalind. Rosalind. Yeah, it was interesting to me that she wasn't involved with Rosalind um, or any black women at all. But we don't, we all this is speculative about her relationship with Tallulah anyway. So yeah, no, I don't, I don't think, I don't, I don't think it's speculative. I think that. Ooh, I'm trying to be real careful right here because I was about to say, I was about to say, I think it's like how we did. Mm. This is better. This is a better example. I don't think it's speculative. I think it's very similar to how we we have dealt with Queen Latifah mm. and how we've dealt with uh, Debrat. Mm. And so now we can say, now it's no longer speculative because these two women have come out mm-hmm. in different ways, but they've come out, right? I think Debrat much more uh, formally, yeah. I guess. And and um queen latifah just more by um representation Mm -hmm. you know being um, seen with your partner you know and so now we can be like we can sit back and be like "Uh uh-huh i knew (laughs) it you know and so i think it's a similar situation because like i said as i said you know um my cousin was like you know you know, oh, she she was known to be gay. And I asked my cousin, I was just like, I said, so how was she known? You know, because, you know, this is a different time. There's no social media, you know, and also just queerness is obviously not something that people are respecting. Folk during that time are losing their lives, yeah. you know, for, for their identity. So how did you know these things? Because that was something clearly, I mean, I know Tallulah Bankhead is a particular, you know, she was a famous actress. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and she's a white woman, you know, so she has more protection than other folk. And so I asked her, I said, how did you know? And she was just like, you know, just through certain so- social circles and theater circles. And I was like, ah, okay. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it's a thing of, you know, it is not printed in books, right. you know. I'm I've not read up on Billie Holiday, you know. But I think that she, it was known to people that she had these relationships. Now, my thing is, is that what, which is I think why you're asking the question you're asking about Rosalind. Mm-hmm. Why are you showing all of these relationships with men? You are stating that she is a queer woman and that she allegedly had a relationship with Tallulah Bankhead. But as we know, for folk, well, we don't know, but folk who are doing drugs and sex and drugs generally go together. Why are you not showing all the multiple partners that she's, the kinds of partners, genders of partners that she's having? You know, that's the work that we have to do um, because we are scared to, we we can't make it a gay film, you know, we can't do these things, but it's a queer woman. So so it is already. (laughs) It is. You know, and I get tired, you know, this reminds me of Clubhouse Conversations, you know, uh, you know, the gay agenda, you know, or why y'all, tr- why, why, every, why is everything in terms of film and television so gay? Mm. And it's just like, because, well, first of all, why is everything so straight? Right. <laughs> exactly. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a stupid question to ask yeah. because it's not like we're not present. It's not like y'all don't engage with us. It's not like we, you don't have them. We don't have representations of sexuality and gender in our families, you know? So get this gay love. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, get, like, get it. And don't and, and and I think that's the work that Lee Daniels has to do because I think while he was able to show how talented he was as a director, I think that he's still scared. I think mm-hmm. he's still scared, and probably just because he doesn't want well, not probably. I can't say. I might presume it's because he doesn't want his life to be on the examination table. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, because I think that he is in a relationship or is married to a non-Black person, as many queer Black folk do once they get to a particular echelon. Mm -hmm. They somehow are unable to have that kind of representation of Black-on-Black love. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's not what this show is about. Certainly something (laughs) that, you know, I would love to discuss with you offline. Yes. (laughs) You know... But I I wonder if that's a reason, you know, because if you're queer, why would you not want to just tell this queer story and tell, or, you know, and and, and the story was about Strange Fruit. It wasn't about her sexuality, but her sexuality was part of who she was and what she sang about in many instances. Yeah, that's interesting because she's also a very light-skinned Black woman. So that has to be said too. Mm -hmm. And her the circle she was running in, the club she was performing in, were in integrated crowds. And I'm thinking also about Lorraine Hansberry right now and her involvement with a lot of white lesbians when she was living in New York as well. Uh, she was also a light-skinned Black woman. There's definitely something going on there. I can't exactly name the exact dynamic, but it is what it is. Like... <laughs> No, I want to go back to your point about um, the kind of privilege that Trevante versus uh, Tone Bell have in this film. Mm -hmm. I want you to just expound on that. Yeah. Well, I wasn't necessarily talking about the film. I was really trying to say in that moment, I wasn't, I was trying to basically say that like the capital uh, that Tone Bell has is, is probably much more quote unquote valuable because He's light skinned mm. is really all that I was getting at. Um, but I think, you know, if we want to think about those two relationships, I wonder, you know, if the light skin privilege worked for Tone Bell uh, in terms of being able to um, woo this woman, mm. you know, and, 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 and be able to take advantage of her. You know, but the darker skinned pretty boy was unable to do so. I mean, he wouldn't treat her in that way, but he was unable to woo her. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that's um, that because that's not exactly what I was talking about. But I think, we, you know, to think about privilege in that way, you can think about, well, the light skinned bad boy was able to bag Billie Holiday, mm-hmm. but not the this well off, beautiful, dark skinned man. But also, her third husband was dark skin, uh, Rob Morgan's character, Louis McKay. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. So it seems she she went, like I said, down the spectrum. I mean, I think so. I, we haven't talked in depth about the probably you know the most integral part of this story, 
and it's addiction, mm-hmm. you know, and there's just so much to say about this, about addiction and about this film, um, you know, the ways in which folk with addiction are criminalized and they are not seen as a victim, you know, of of health challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, coupled with in this film, you're saying that you are trying to fight the war on drugs, but you're really trying to fight the war on Black liberation. Um, <laughs> you know, but Andra captured this humanity of what it is to live with addiction. Mm-hmm. Also, even making, you know, when I think, when we think of addiction, when we think of drug addicts, we think of, you know, the crystal mouth addict who we assume is white with no teeth. We think about the crackhead begging on the corner. We think about, you know, a bomb who must be living on the street, mm-hmm. you know, but the ways in which addiction is really a normal thing in our society. And we work, go to church, you know, go to school with folk who are in the moment battling with addiction. And we often sometimes have no idea. You know, we laugh with them, we cry with them, we hang out with them, we party with them. You know, we have drinks with them, Mm -hmm. knowing that they probably shouldn't be having those drinks. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was, it was very interesting to see this woman, you know, who's beautiful, you know, who we see wearing the beautiful gowns and wearing these long, beautiful, gloves and we're like all oh, the gloves are beautiful girl she got them gloves on so that you don't see her oh, track marks the ways that the men who came into her life enabled that and i was reading on her biography that her first husband actually introduced her to heroin and she ended up picking up the habit and continued on with it but and, and so many times throughout the film, she just asks if somebody could give her help, get her help. She's like, the first time she goes to court, she says, jail, can't y'all just send me to rehab? And it's just like, nobody, like you're saying, everybody criminalizes it rather than look to actual help the person as a human. Mm-hmm. So it's a failure right. on everyone's part. It is, you know, I, I, you know, addiction is such a tricky thing. You know, it is a failure on everyone's part, you know, um, because ultimately we're doing like what you said, we're either enabling the individual or we've, we are victimizing them negatively, mm-hmm. you know, um, and And like she said, I need some help. You know, it's what I need. I don't need to be sitting in jail. I need help. And, you know, but then she asked, you know, she did talk about help. You know, I'm not necessarily sure she asked for it. She talked about it. I mean, and when I say that, I mean, I know that she asked for it, but she didn't want it, Mm. you know? 
and, and even when she had the opportunity to get it, she changed the subject or she changed the course, you know, um, which is also the challenge in addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're not doing your best thinking, but the real problem is, is that is the emotional warfare that's happening. That's the root of trying to help somebody with addiction. Yeah. Because it's connected to something. Mm -hmm. Almost always, yes. You know, in 12-step, you know, they talk about the ways in which, you know, it is a disease and that you were born an alcoholic, you know. And I believe that there is some truth to that. But I also believe, too, that generally... The issue is the emotional fight that that person is happening. And that is where the help needs to begin. And then you're able to really deal with the addiction, the the physical addiction part of it, because you've gotten the heart disassociated from the addiction and trauma. Yes. You know, and I thought that this film, I hope that people really take that, you know, after watching this film, if they have someone in their life who's struggling, you know, or they suspect is struggling, you know, um, because we still loved Billy at the end of the movie, you know, we still loved her and folk with addictions, you know, it really is. You don't need to be concerned about the drug initially. Ask them what's wrong. Mm-hmm. What's wrong? And not and not why do you keep doing this? What is wrong that's making you make this choice? That's where the healing can begin. Yes. Because she even names it. She says she does it to escape dealing with the reality of the many traumas she's faced. It's a way mm-hmm. to avoid all of that yeah so yes and so that is where i will say that i i kind of stepped out the film because i am not sure that um it made it seem as if she was very clear about the choices she was making and i am unsure if I am unsure if if that is is totally realistic. Mm-hmm. You know? And and I mean I think on the surface level, yes, to say, you know, I'm doing this to 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 put the band-aid on things, sure. You know, um but some of the language I was, you know, for me, I was just like, well, if she's that aware and present knows she needs to get help, you know, understands that she is not dealing with these awful experiences in her life, Mm -hmm. then, and she, and can afford it, why is she not getting the help that she's getting? Like, for me, and so for me, I was just like, 
y'all doing too much in that area. <laughs> you know, and just remembering the carelessness, I think, of of someone who struggles with addiction. I will say, I feel like the at least the part about knowing that you are doing it to suppress some emotion bubbling up or facing certain things head on, I feel like that's probably realistic. Like people know that, like you can tell when you're sober that you feel a different way or that you feel certain emotions coming back up, right? There is no logic when you think about the ways in which drugs affect people. First of all, because they affect each and every person differently. Um, and so that's, and this is my opinion. I am clearly no, (laughs) you know, expert on, um, you know, mental health. I am no expert on even addiction, but I do think that there is a convolutedness that happens. I think that there is generally always that moment where you think you have it together, you know, and you're like, it's not a problem. I mean, clearly she was she was, you know, criminalized for her drug use, you know, but also it spanned it most of her life, you mm-hmm. know, as well. Um, so I do think that we we and we and we interjected in her life at a part where she probably was very clear about the ways of the position drugs had in her life and alcohol too, because mm-hmm. she died of you know sclerosis of the liver. Yeah. <laughs> that's what killed her, you know, um, and that was that's alcohol. Um, but I, I just, I just, like I said, I, and this is nitpicky, but I just feel like there was just, there's a bit of, there was a bit of, of, um, there could have been a, just a little bit more care with that just because she was a strong woman and was so controlled. I think that her addiction, you know, was probably a little messier than Mm they made it, you know, but also they're trying to make sure that we also honor, you know, this woman at the same time. So I understand the choice. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's it's tricky, you know, it's tricky, particularly when, you know, um, you're writing, one might be writing about something, you know, that um, is unfamiliar, you know, so Mm. this is why, you know, it is important to have, um, queer folk on the writing team who are not only solid in who they are but queer folk from that particular experience because two all queer experiences are not the same right. you know a white queer person cannot you know write critically about an urban black queer experience you know, because th- those are apples and oranges, you know, and I think just like with Euphoria, you know, <laughs> who they claim to have had, you know, um, people in recovery, you know, on the writing team, it's very important that you bring folk in the space. You know, I do know that Andre Day was able to um, conference and spend a lot of time with addicts. Mm-hmm. Um, I am so shocked that Tasha Smith was her acting coach. I'm gagging at that. I think she was also Mary J. Blige's acting coach for when she did Mudbound. Now see, that makes more sense to me. Now see, that makes more sense. I'm through. <laughs> that makes absolutely much more sense to me. Ah. <laughs> Speaking of Mudbound, actually, both Rob Morgan and Garrett Hedlund were both involved in Mudbound and this film. Just an interesting cast connection there. 
Interesting cast. Well, I think, you know, I guess in terms of, you know, we always want to bring, you know, figure out how we can um, bring theater in the conversation. I was very happy to see Adrian Lennox, um, who played Jimmy Fletcher's mother. Mm-hmm. And uh, many may remember her from Lee Daniels, the butler. But, you know, she originated the role, the Black character from Doubt on Broadway. And then she was the one who was able to initiate that character being the award-winning character. You all may remember that Viola Davis won her first Oscar Mm. uh, for her role in Doubt. But that role was already stamped as an iconic role by Adrienne Lennox because she... um, I think it was a revival on Broadway, and she won the Tony yes. for that particular role. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so she's also, and she also, actually, for you, fun fact, she originated the role of Suge uh, in the um, in the uh, regional production of The Color Purple at the Alliance Theater. Okay. Suge Avery, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Also, I felt yeah. like, speaking of Suge, I felt like there was that scene when Billy was in that red sparkly two-piece, and it felt like a nod to uh-huh. Suge Avery to me. But so. that just mm-hmm. may have been a, a wishful thinking moment, but that's what I thought of. Probably. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so I was so excited to see Leslie Jordan. I <laughs> love Leslie I think that he is hilarious. I thought that he was perfect for that role. Even when he asked that question about behave, I was like, oh my God, yes, you sound just like him. Southern. (laughs) Southern, but just also like the, 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 um, what do I want to say? Like the matter of factness in asking that question without really dealing with the implication of the question Mm -hmm. like he just i was just like that's how it be i was like oh my gosh you know that's the only Um, way that's the (laughs) the only way oh my god you know his Uh, character was like the only one his miss lawrence and um the character rosalind were the only fictional characters in the film you know, it's interesting that, you know, this film was an adaptation of a book by Johan Hari called Chasing the Dream. The opposite of addiction is connection. Um, what year was that written? It looks like 2016. So it looks like in even this book, it seems as if this book... Um, was in response to a viral TED talk that Johan Hari gave mm-hmm. about um, the heart of the war on drugs. Uh, looks as if this TED talk has been viewed 62 million times, more than 62 million times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also inspired this film as well as the documentary series, The Fix. Hey, Johan Hari as he uncovered a range of remarkable human stories of how the war on drugs began with Billie Holiday, the great jazz singer, being stalked and killed by a racist policeman, of the scientists who discovered the surprising key to addiction, and of the countries that ended their own war on drugs with extraordinary results. Oh, this is actually probably a very good book to read. Um, It is the story of a life-changing journey that transformed the addiction debate intentionally and showed the world that the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm -hmm. 
So I'll ask you, A.T., what does it mean? What do you think it means to watch this film in 2021? You know, and where do you see this film um, in terms of the film canon? To watch this film in 2021 brings us to a story of a woman born a century before our time today. And it makes me definitely think about my grandmother who was also born during that period, what she witnessed and experienced. Um, I actually have an uncle who was lynched in East Texas. Um, and this is a story that's known amongst my family. Um, and she, that was her brother. And she actually witnessed that and still lived throughout her life on that land um, that I, I believe is a group of white police officers who did it. Um, and thinking about the trauma that she faced um, and, and probably often suppressed throughout her life with that information and having witnessed that and relating that to Billy and how so often uh, Black women, I feel, are deemed so strong and kind of used as the emotional carriers of the community when they're going through so much themselves. And I believe the power of healing through community is really what should be emphasized or, or picked up from this film. Um, if Billy would have had, you know, a stronger influence around her, a group of people that really could have guided her. But of course, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to what she wanted to do herself. She is an individual. Um, but I think this film, yeah, just puts all of that into context for me. And to think that she sung Strange, strange Fruit at the age that I am right now, 23 years old, and launched her career off, it's just, it propels me to get to work. That's very powerful, AT. Um, if you don't mind, before I share my um, response to that same question, would you mind sharing um, what you know about the lynching in your family? Yeah, um, I'm not too sure what sparked it. Oh, actually, I do, I do. So my uh, great uncle, he owned a bunch of lands in East Texas in a town called Nacogdoches. Um, my mom grew up there too. But um, he owned a bunch of farmland and I think the city had wanted to purchase it um, so that they could build other housing and basically relegate all the black folk in town over there. Um, and he didn't want to sell it. And so there was some back and forth there and they ended up, uh, a group of white men, police officers, ended up lynching him. Um, I believe they attached him to the back of a truck and drug his body through the field. And yeah, I actually have, um, she's considered a great, or second cousin, uh, that was his daughter. And um, she witnessed that. And to this day, like, she sings so, she's like a really adamant gospel singer. And that's like all she does is just like, I know that's how she's coping. And it's 
it's beyond. It's so, so much, so much of Black people's trauma in this country from those incidents and how it's passed down, how it's not dealt with, or how it's just coped with, and how it affects our mental health. It's just, it's ridiculous. Wow, thank you for sharing that. That is um, very unfortunate. Uh, I am sorry for your family's loss. Um, I am sorry for the um, trauma that um, his seeds had to inherit. Um, It's really, really a tragic story, um, but quite common for people like us in the United States. Um, you know, I'm like really trying to (laughs) not get very emotional um, because I think, you know, I just watched this film yesterday and I finished it, you know, this morning. And, um, I think that I'm still processing, you know, this film is super important. Um, I think it is important because of the current state of race relations in the United States. Um, But then that also makes me very sad because it is really sad and maybe even a little scary to know that, as you just mentioned, that 100 years ago, you know, the themes of the, the this story captured um, those themes that were transpiring that long ago are still transpiring today. You know, to know that there is no law in this country that prevents a lynching from happening or um, does not police the consequence for those who do engage in lynching. Um, it's amazing to know that there is no law in place. There's no legislation in place for that. And that the present legislation is still in question. You know, it's quite telling. And so that makes me sad. You know, it reminds me of why I want to live in another country. Also a wonderful film, you know, that really captures and, hu- and humanizes an, an important figure in music um, and an important figure in black history and an important figure in queer history. Um, and I think that, you know, with the iconic Lady Sings the Blues, with Audra McDonald's wonderful rendering of Billie Holiday on the Broadway stage, yeah, Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill. Um, I think that there is a beautiful addition to the rendering of Billie Holiday. Um, but more importantly, you know, um, what this film is doing for us to understand addiction um, is super important, you know. 2020, you know, was a very challenging year for me for many, many reasons. Um, But part of it, you know, was my um, 
coming to terms and coming to action about my challenges with addiction. Um, And so to be here in such a beautiful and positive space in my life, in a space um, of sobriety towards something um, that, you know, really impacted my life um, in ways that I was unable to understand. Um, So to to watch that um, and really kind of think about my trials, but also my um, triumphs um, causes great emotion for me. And it is my hope that people really take this film and really not just take it for, you know, a biopic, but also a lesson on how to treat others with challenges. Um, that is why I think the film is extremely important. Um, and I am, you know, still quite moved by what I've witnessed. Um, well, (laughs) I see, I'm like, look, I'm looking, I'm looking at you. (laughs) Um, okay. Well, I don't feel like crying. So, um, (laughs) I think I want to, my, um, call out, um, is for Lee Daniels. You know, I think that. He has really grown as an artist with this film. I think that, um, I think he did a really beautiful job. Um, I wish that we could have talked more and more in this episode about kind of the cinematic thing, the technical things that I really liked in the film. But I think that the themes of the film, you know, were far more important. Um, Yeah. And so, my pull-in will probably be for Trevante Rhodes. I want him to really get into class and I want him to really figure out what it is he's trying to do because he cannot just rely on that pretty privilege. I know that Black Twitter will allow him to do so. But for him to be so thoughtful, um, I'm sure that he wants his work to be lauded in a much more serious way. So I'm going to pull him in and I am going to direct him to not go to Tasha Smith's class, but to go to someone else's. (laughs) I cannot. (laughs) Um, I would like to say that I will call out uh, Andre Day, of course, I think um, I will say like her process reading about it and she she mentions that she actually picked up drinking and smoking herself something that she doesn't typically do um, right. and that um, she was just she said she was desperate because this was her first role uh, and she asked God to give her all of the pain and trauma that uh, Billy was experiencing and it paid off um, she definitely definitely brought the fullness of the character 
Um, and, and from this conversation, you know, I will note that it definitely was a directing thing where the, the moments that I felt it was off um, because Andre did the work and she studied up for this for this role. And so I have to call her out. I also feel uh, Garrett Heelan did a great job uh, playing the FBI um, agent. He was clear of his motivation, <laughs> but also it's kind of fraught because similarly to Judas and the Black Messiah, with um, the actor who played the FBI agent there, it's just like, as we go into these historic roles and these evil white folk who were just after destroying black people, it's just like, how much praise can we really give them for accurately depicting that? Mm. What does that mean politically? But <laughs> he did that. Um, who I would like um, to see more work from, uh, Tyler James Williams, his character, we all know him from Everybody Hates Chris, famously. I don't, his character felt so empty and like half done to me. He was just, and I know he was a supporting character. He was a member of the band, but it just felt like he was like lifeless almost on screen. And so I would like to see him uh, get more into connecting with dramatic work. Um, but yeah, that's, those are my I'm so glad that you mentioned him. Um, I was happy to see him. I'm happy to see him, you know, developing his career outside of that younger character. I think that that had more to do with story development, though. Mm-hmm. Um, while I, do, I agree with you, I think that he could have tried his best to try to create a, a, a fuller... Um, a, a fuller personality I think that the script didn't allow him to Mm. I think that's my opinion Um, now perhaps he doesn't have the skill either Um, but I do think that you know it was one of those I think it was definitely something where we wanted to understand who he was more because we also saw that Billy had a connection to him, mm-hmm. but the script didn't allow us to know more about him or know why she trusted him. Right. Cause she, there was a trust there yes. too, you know? Um, so I think, you know, part of that is story development. Um, but I'm glad that you mentioned him because I, it's good. He needed to be mentioned, you know, as he try as he's working hard for us to not see him as that child character. Well, this is a lovely conversation. Uh, Always good to be in talk with you, AT, about these things. Yes. (laughs) We want you all to make sure that you follow, like, subscribe, and tell everybody about At Performing Black. Where can they see us, AT? Performing Black is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you can find a podcast. Look for Performing Black, y'all. And where can they find you? You all can find me at artsy.allen. And you can find me at The Shadesmith. We thank you all for listening and we'll talk with you soon. Peace and love. Performing Black. Performing Black.